Episode 164 of Eventually Super Train. I'm your main host, Dan. Welcome to this short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. We are finally back to three shows at a time. In this episode, we begin with Stan Peel and myself discussing the second broadcast episode of Partisan Crime, featuring the late, great David Soul. Then I am discussing the 12th and penultimate episode of Monster Squad. Then Tim S. Turner is back. We're discussing the seventh episode, season two, episode one of Max Headroom. You heard a little theme there. I thought I'd play a little theme in, a little theme out. A little bit of Max. It's a fun theme. You'll hear it again. So, uh, yeah, let's dive right in, shall we? Uh, Stan is uh, on the other side of my plot description of the second episode of Partisan Crime. Listen to this. This tall brunette, born with a silver spoon in her mouth, was Private Eye Raymond Dashiell Caulfield's first wife. This streetwise blonde and I have only two things in common. We were both married to the same man, and we both divorced him. We met for the first time at his funeral. Are you ready for this? He left us his mansion, mortgage to the hilt, and the Caulfield Detective Agency. And how do we manage? We call the cops a lot. The Hottest Guy in Town, directed by Charles S. Dubin, written by, well, story in this one by Simon Muntner and Bill Driscoll, teleplay by Simon Muntner. This originally aired September 29th, 1984. Guest star David Soul. There's a ton of stuff that goes on in this one. I'm going to read you the Wikipedia couple of sentences here and i thank you to whoever wrote this this is the this, these are this is the basic element of what what kickstarts the heart of this episode wealthy women are being blackmailed by a hairdresser carol and sydney go undercover to root out the blackmailer guest star david soul let me play a little blast of music and on the other side guest host stan peel Hottest Guy in Town, episode two that aired of Partisan Crime. And again, we have here with us the great Stan Peel. Stan, how are you today? I'm doing great. I hope you heard He's me opening a beer. It's time. He's always having a good time because <laughs> not only do we have Linda Carter and not only do we have Lonnie Anderson, but we have, was he Starsky or Hutch? He was, oh, I should know this. Yeah, I believe he was a Hutch. David Starsky and, and oh my gosh. This is, this you know, is, he, I did great homework for the first episode, and this one I just, I we just watched and enjoyed. Is, is what we did. I did. You know how long? Did. It, you know how long it took me to remember which of the Joes were which in Petticoat Junction, <laughs> and I wrote a book <laughs> reviewing every single episode. All right. It took me. It took me forever. And the way you remember is it's. Um, uh, oh, now I've forgotten. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's. Um, Bobby Joe is the brunette, and I only remember that because the sprained ankle country style, the Green Acres episode, where Mr. Douglas is laid up in bed and the whole town comes and joins him on his bed watching Mary Poppins meets Frankenstein and eats all his food and keeps bumping his ankle and hurting him. And Bobby Joe comes in through the fireplace, which was never finished, and Mr. Douglas looks at him and goes, Bobby Joe! So I remember that's Bobby Joe. <laughs> Betty Joe is the redhead, and I remember that because B E E 
R E E redhead, the E's, the E's, and then Billy Joe is the blonde because she's the other one. But yeah, yes. I don't know. All I can think of is the uh, Ricky Gervais show extras when he's on with he's on with uh, he's on an extra on a Ben Stiller movie and Ben Stiller's being really mean and he looks at Ricky Gervais's character and then he goes and 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 Ben Stiller goes, "Do you know who I am?" And he says, "Were you Starsky or Hutch?" <laughs> So I don't. So it's David Soul. It's, yes, and it's, I did look it up because I, I'm deeply ashamed. It's it's he is Ken Hutch Hutchinson, uh, okay. and Paul Michael Glazer is David Starsky. Okay, it's not Stars Starsky. I've never watched Starsky and Hutch. Oh, I loved it. That's that's why I'm embarrassed. I loved it as a kid. I watched that okay, show. Yeah. It's one it's one of those things. You know, it's like when we, in the previous episode when we talked about um, uh, uh, the the Carol and Sydney, the characters on. Uh, on this show, and we talked about that, you know, some, sometimes it's not about the mysteries. It's just kind of enjoying the lead characters, having a good time. You know, with Starsky and Hutch, I think you're just enjoying whatever it was they did. I've never seen the show. Absolutely. And you don't need to know their names. Yeah. You, you don't need to know their names. There's the one guy, there's the other guy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so, so Stan, what, let's dive right in. We, we went long on the last one because there was a lot of, lot of good stuff. And this time we're just going to dive right in. What did you think of the hottest guy in town. I um, and I mean that literally. <laughs> no, I I feel like I feel like the writers let us down. I'm just gonna go out. I'm just gonna say it. Okay. I feel like um, Linda and Lonnie and David were there and ready to rock, and there was not enough coherent writing to help them along. And and. In spite of that, it was still a delightful episode <laughs> because everybody looked great. David Soul was acting his butt off. Yeah. I mean, he was, and, and I will say, you know, as an example, he plays a hairdresser, right? There is a scene where both Lonnie Anderson and Linda Carter go into his salon to get their hair cut, and because... They are so beautiful and glamorous, and the producers of the show don't want anybody to touch them. They had to go through this whole scene where David Soul is supposed to be working on their hair, and he never does a single thing about it. He, he maybe stands behind Lonnie Anderson and kind of cups her hair just lightly. I mean, you don't want to, like, manhandle her hair. Bert's probably in the back room. <laughs> That's right. And so, and and yet, David Soul managed to make that scene work. Yes. Even though yeah. he kept saying, can I do this? No, you can't do that. Can I Can I cut up? No, don't touch the no, hair. Don't, don't touch the <laughs> yeah. Do a thing. And David's like, okay, I can make this. I'm an actor. I can make yes, this work. Yes, I can make this. I was Starsky. No, you weren't. <laughs> Who was I then? Who, who was I? I was God. I was Huggy Bear. No, that's wrong. <laughs> I was Mannix. No. <laughs> so I mean that that scene alone is an example of how this whole mm-hmm. episode felt. Like there were three actors that were absolutely game, and I I just felt like they were given nothing or or too much because in a way the the plot yes. is so convoluted that. It for such a simple weird show, it was kind of hard to follow. Like what was happening? <laughs> it, it's yeah. I it, it was the second time through. Yeah, or where I sort of gauged. Okay, I get. But the thing is, like, if you do the extra, if you do the extra work to figure out what's going on, 
it's not worth it. This, this ain't like the singing detective or Finnegan's Wake or something, <laughs> where if you really put the time into it, you come out the other end and you're like, wow, I am changed. Yeah. You come out the other end of this and you think, did like eight people write this and not know? Like, did they just write some pages and hand it to someone and then they wrote the next pages and handed it to yeah. someone? It just, it's like, it's like there's a blackmailer. There's businessmen with little, little like bean counter things with shotguns right. there's the big mobster in town who's like, not really a mobster and there's he's and they're following and there's a car chase that's not really <laughs> and it's like it's like three scams going on simultaneously <laughs> and none of none of it makes sense none of it makes sense they all kind of get um it's sort of like and I, i'm jumping around but it's sort of like have you ever seen house of frankenstein mm. Which um, the the and and that's sold as like Dracula, the, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, but everything's separate. Yeah, it's like the first half hour is like for, and then Werewolf comes in for a while, right. and then the monster shows up, and it's also and that's almost like this is it starts off with like blackmail, and then it becomes this long stretch where Linda Carter is going on a date with David Soul, not for real in in the show. Yeah, and then these businessmen show up with shotguns, and I kept thinking that was a joke. Yeah. That, that because you 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 because basically what's what happens is you see a guy and he stops Linda Carter asks him something and he's rude to her she walks into is it Lacroix Lacroix I feel like I'm an ab, ab fab now um, Lacroix is it Lacroix yeah um, and and he's got like a little counter where he's counting all the women that yeah. go into Lacroix oh and maybe and they, you may have to count uh, to pronounce the f Lacroix because it's like a La- quaff, like <laughs> like your hair. Oh, is it Lacroix? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I just I heard Lacroix. And I was like, oh my god. Um, yeah, it's Lacroix. Yeah, uh, it's great stuff, folks. See, here's yeah. what we're dealing with writing wise. Right. Um, and I wish Leonard Stern would write an episode <laughs> of this. I feel like that would be like because the Macmillan and Wife's he wrote were pretty darn good. I do. I um, do want to say one thing about the writing because mm. I am who I am. One of the writers is Simon Munter of the, of this episode. I'm I'm not sure what he's responsible for exactly cuz it says I think it says story by James Stark and Simon Munter and teleplay by Simon Munter. Simon Munter wrote 7 episodes of Mash and all of them were good episodes. Okay. And so I don't get how he can possibly have written this. This I, I, I feel like yes, something went wrong with it because I could see it, I, I could see it in other hands, like being kind of. You get to the end of it and go, "Wow, that was really nicely done," mm-hmm. you know, because you think it's going here, but then it's not, and then it goes here, and then it goes here. But every time this show goes off in another direction, it's a little kind of tiresome more than anything. It's almost like. Where are we going now? Yeah. Who are these guys with the shotguns? With the bob? Can we just resolve something in a decent manner? Right, it's, right. It's a real. It's 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 really. It really does. It really does feel like in something went wrong somewhere. Yeah, and maybe I was going to blame and, the director, but the director, speaking of Mash, is Charles Dubin, who's oh, a yeah, terrific okay. Mash director. Yeah. And I know and he's, he's done other stuff, but you know I'm a Mash and, freak, so. Yeah, yeah. The the um there the, 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 there is that weird. So you see, yeah. So you see, yeah. The guy with the counter, and then this woman who also works with him goes in there to talk to um uh David Soul's character, mm-hmm. whose name I didn't write down. Uh, I Harry. Name, uh, 
Harry, Harry goes in to talk to Harry and just learn what he's he's up to. You know, the our gals, uh, um, um, Sydney and, and Carol are in there because they think uh, Harry's a blackmailer because they got hired, etc. You heard all that in the opening. Um, but uh, but the, the tricky thing too is that forgive me if I'm wrong, but um, in the opening blackmail call, you see a sil- the shadow of the guy making the call, right. and. Um, David Soul's hair is thinning a bit, but that's not David Soul right. standing there. And in fact, a few scenes later, David Soul has a conversation with the guy, and they're they're each you know they're 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 you know we're seeing the sides of them, and we're seeing the silhouette of the guy he's talking to, and you look at him and go, oh, that was the guy on the phone, right? Is it that? Is it that the guy on the phone? And you're like, am I? Did I just do that? Did that just happen? And it's like you're like that can't be. Is that are we are we? It's so obvious. Is it? I mean. That that's my thought. Is the episode goofing? Yeah. Maybe because that's so obvious. You're like, well, isn't he the blackmailer? And then um, when the 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 two people with the counter who are like basically they're opening a new hairdressing salon across the street that's a franchise, mm-hmm. and they they put tons of money. The, these two people and this other guy um, have put tons of money into it, and they want Harry to join them. Harry won't join them. And when these two people go to the boss and say Harry won't join us at our at our franchise for the new hair salon, Harry opens a cupboard filled with shotguns. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, he won't talk. He won't agree. Eh? He won't and talk." He yeah, the gun. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and, and you see that, and you think, "What's happening?" And then when you then when you learn that he's opening a hair salon, you're like, "You know, I saw shampoo." <laughs> This is more like black shampoo than shampoo. This this is really this is really weird. And it's it is funny because there were a few more. I mean, the 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 show has comedy in it. It has oh, yeah. gals. They they do some fun fun shtick and stuff. And Lonnie Anderson does some really nice stuff yeah. in here. Um, and Linda Carter sort of has to be the um, the gal who's going out with Harry. Who, who doesn't really want to go out? Well, she maybe a little, but but she's trying to learn from him, so she's trying to be a good detective, right. and so she's try, like, and he's he keeps like, yeah, come on, baby, and she's like, no, no, maybe not. Like, do your lights not work? And you know, and stuff like that, constantly turning him away when he's getting a little too close. Yeah. Whereas Lonnie gets to have a little more fun with it because she's not, uh, he's not coming after her. Right, right. Um, and um, but but yeah, there is. There is something strange about the episode where it has several different threads going through it, mm-hmm. and they're not terribly interesting. No, but but they do have. I feel like there were set pieces that were really enjoyable. I think any scene with uh, Michael Gazzo, who's who's from The Godfather, and he yes. plays a, like a Godfather. He's so good. He's, you know him when you see him. You'll know him. he's so good. He's good in every day. He's got the. I can't even do it. The voice. Yeah, and so he's he's in a, it. Really, only two scenes, but they're great. Yes. And, yes. And Lonnie Anderson, I think, plays off of him really well. Yes. Yes. And I do think I I think that the the sort of ill-fated date between Linda Carter and David Soul as as weirdly uncomfortable as it is, <laughs> is is full of good comedy. And There's some... I do have to say that Linda in that black dress looks fantastic. Fab- yes, yes, she does. So she does. There is that. Yeah, it's 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 like you said. It's more of a set piece episode where certain scenes are are worth watching. I mean, at the beginning they play tennis. Yeah. The two leading ladies. Oh yeah. And, um, that reminded me upon, of. of... 
a bachelor party. Did you? I just immediately <laughs> thought of uh, of um, oh, what's his name? The uh, Tom Hanks. Tom, Be- yeah, Tom before Hanks, he was yeah. Tom Hanks, he, he he was in Bachelor Party, this goofy, <laughs> stupid show and, or a movie, and he did that that same kind of tennis routine where he was playing his father-in-law. I think that's. He just kept hitting yeah. them like they were home runs, you know. <laughs> and I think that's the same. I think Bachelor Party came out around this time, if I remember. Yeah, I could be wrong. I think it, it did. I think it did. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, there's some. I mean, I love the moment where um, uh, uh, Harry go Harry's in his apartment. He goes to get something, and 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 Carol has left the door unlocked, so um, so uh, so Sydney can come in, and Sydney starts to come in, and and. Carol kind of gives her a wave, go away, go away. And then you see Carol kind of looking through the window yeah. and go away, go away. And Lonnie Anderson kind of does like a, she's in an elevator yeah. kind of. <laughs> and you can tell she's having fun with it. And I like that. It's yeah. it's so weird because you can tell the leads are having fun. And David Soul is, is working hard. Yeah. But but the, the rest of the episode, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I, th- I, the more I th- think someone... I, I almost think like someone was told it was a comedy and someone wasn't told it was a something happened. There's, there's a weird, yeah. there's just like, I always stand. What, what is it in a, um, a long time ago? Uh, there was a, there was a book called the mystery science theater, 3000 amazing colossal episode guy. Uh-huh. And in it, um, that writers would do little write-ups about episodes. And after master ninja two, Paul Chaplin, one of the writers, who 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 was the he was the thin white guy with the glasses, who's always kind of played a nerdy guy uh, who would show up. He was Timmy Bobby Rusty in one episode. He was a really annoying kid, and um, uh, he um, he he's writing about Master Ninja the the show, and and he he says I, we noticed one thing in three of the four segments from Master Ninja one and two, uh, they're about like businessmen in small towns resorting to murder and destruction and all sorts of horrible things to get what they want. And he says, I'm not a fan of unfettered capitalism run wild, but this seems a bit much even to me. <laughs> and that's that's sort of what this seems like to me. You know, it's like Harry won't Harry won't take a job at our thing. Well, we're gonna scare yeah. him. Get the shotguns. <laughs> and, you know, it's like it's like when you see them in the in they they break into his home mm-hmm. and they're going to just scare him. When he's in the hot tub there with Linda Carter, and luckily Sydney uh, gets a nice, you know, like a vase off, hits the guy in the back of the head, so he, he misses. Right. But it's like, wow, this is like this is capitalism gone <laughs> wild. Yes. The, the, this is this is like we're going to scare him. Yeah. You know, like really? What's, I mean, I've had some bad bosses, but would you go to a boss who got you to take the job by shooting at you when you were in a hot tub with Linda Carter? <laughs> Stan, think about I, it. Well, Don't there are positives and negatives to this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 a yeah, it's a weird episode. Like, yeah. like I said, it's it's some something is letting us down here, right? I, and I don't I, I like, don't I, know what it could be. I mean, really, I like the the writers seem to be capable. The directors, maybe it's the editing. I don't I don't know. Or it could be, it could be maybe the maybe. Maybe it was longer. Maybe it was longer originally, and they had to cut. Some, no, maybe. To, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, it could, it could be the editing there, because there, there's just something about it where, 
as each Let, as it goes along and each little bit is revealed, it doesn't become more interesting and more intriguing. Yeah, it just kind of happens. Well, and the and the and rhythms are weird. The rhythms are weird. Like yeah. there's there's a denouement where where sort of they, they catch the um the the uh, blackmailer, but there's still ten minutes of show left yes. because I mean it feels like that's that's the thing they set out to do and they found him and they're relieved. But there's all yeah. this other stuff that has to get cleaned up. It's like there's yeah. two subplots that have not been resolved. Yes. So. <laughs> and it all it's yeah it's 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 a really weird one everyone. I um if you've seen it hopefully uh I mean you don't have to agree with us. But I mean I it's it's it, it, it because like like you said earlier Stan there is something about it, like if you're just casually watching it like like there's a long scene where I think you see the mother-in-law for the first oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's great. And, and you you, you see her, and it's nice to see her. Like, oh, okay, that's the character from the opening credits. Awesome. But you, I sort of, both times I've watched this, I got to the end of that scene with her, and my thought was, what happened right there? Yeah. What was going on right there? And I had to write it down, you know, just to make sure, oh, that's what was going on. Because you see it, it's like, I, you're like, I can't take another character. Right <laughs> I need us to focus. Right, and what, what I remember from that scene is it opens with Linda Carter looking at these handcuffs. And somebody else is talking, and I think she's just doing that as a bit, but it's the most inter- interesting thing in the scene. <laughs> she's looking at these handcuffs for some reason, like these ancient handcuffs. I don't know why yes, they're there. Yes. I thought this was a bookstore. I'm not. I'm not even sure. Yeah, like... I, I was a little. I was a little confused too <laughs> about what was happening. Yeah, it's. It's yeah. It's. I mean, look. If if all the episodes of the show is going to be as intriguing and weird as this one. <laughs> Then I'm all for yes. it. I mean, maybe, maybe in the same way that we talked in the last episode that the 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 story was kind of obvious and kind of light, and we were looking at three very charismatic women just taking over the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, in this one, we're watching a story that you know, uh, it's it's like you know, if Ag- Agatha, you know, it's like. You know, it's like Agatha Christie died halfway during the story, <laughs> and one of, one of the Schwartz brothers finished it off, or something like that. Yeah. You know, Agatha got two thirds of the way through. We called in Sherwood Schwartz. <laughs> he knows how to end it. Right. And he's gonna he's gonna wrap it up and because there's just it almost it feels like it, like I said maybe it was written by eight people. It might have been directed by two or three or four people. It just feels it feels like a weird like I mean I understand shows early on like. You 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 do. I'm sure when we finally watch the pilot, they'll it'll have. Well, you've seen it, mm-hmm. so. so um, but uh, I, I mean, I feel like that will like a lot of pilots have a definite purpose to them. Yeah, yeah. But then sometimes when the show gets picked up, and I always say this with Get Smart is my my standing example. Right. You watch Mr. Big, the first episode of Get Smart. Mel Brooks and Buck Henry include every single spy gag they can think right. of. Then when they get picked up and are told, I don't know if they're told this right off, okay, make 29 more of them. Yeah. They're like, we, we can't do that. We used every single joke we had. <laughs> so they have to they have to sort of back up and say, okay, in this episode we're going to do this portion. Yeah. This episode we're going to go here. So a lot of times you'll see pilots, and then when you watch Shadow Chasers does the same thing. You watch the second episode, and it kind of backs away from um, what the first episode did really well because you can't sustain right. it. And so I'm wondering if, if, like, when I watch the pilot, if I'm going to get the feeling of, okay, that's kind of where the show is going, but maybe they couldn't quite do that for some reason, and and so they're doing this thing, yeah. which is, it's certainly entertaining. I mean, I was never bored when I was watching it, mostly because I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of one of those things like, focus on Linda and Lonnie, focus on them. Right. 
and and you you will make it to the end safely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you may not know what's happened, but you may. And I do all I can, and I mentioned Bert earlier. All I can think of is that opening tennis scene where where Linda is there and she's in a she's in a tasteful tennis skirt and um, Lonnie apparently got one that was a little too small for her. Right. And I just imagine Bert like standing off to one side going, "What's she wearing? <laughs> what what is that? I can see her tush." Yeah. What is going on over there? Yep. I don't know if Burt Reynolds would say tush. I just added that for him. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a, and then like when they go down the elevator and they meet the mob guys who aren't really mob guys, right. but they, maybe they maybe. are mob guys. Yeah. And it's it's um it's and uh, it's it's such it's such a weird it's it's actually funny. It's it's one of those episodes which is more fun to talk about than it is to sit and watch. I mm. think. Because I'm having actually more fun now talking right. about it than I did when I watched right. it. <laughs> Try to figure it oh, out. Oh, yeah. My, my wife yeah. Uh, watched the last maybe 15 minutes of this uh, episode with me, and she's like, are you guys going to talk about this? This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, you kind of had to see it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I love if, you know what, if, like I said, if the show could, um, oh, what game does he have in his, uh, I got a plane right here. Oh, it's got a kangaroo. The mob guy has Kangaroo, which is a super fun uh, video game in his office. That's a fun oh, nice. one. That's sort of Pac-Man-esque, one of the Pac-Man-esque. I, you know, I was going to ask you about that. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've, I saw that and I'm like, oh, Dan's got to know what that is. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a, yeah, that's, a, yeah, you're, I've, I've, uh, it's, it's, um, uh, give, give me give me a second. I'm going to lean over to the left real mm-hmm. quick. Stan, you talk to everyone. I'm just going to lean. Stan, tell us about yourself. Oh, well, just just a very quick sort of. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to this this scene in the um, in the the hair salon because I can't get over it uh, because they could not touch Lonnie or Linda's hair. And what I forgot to mention was um, while uh, David Soul is going back and forth between the two. He, he leaves Lonnie and goes over to Linda and sort of talks to her and maybe touches her hair on the periphery. And then Lonnie calls over and says, I think I'm ready. And what's happened is that she's they've put like heat lamps next to her hair. Like they wouldn't even put one of those actual hair dryers on her head because they didn't. They didn't want to touch her hair. Oh, yeah. They didn't want her to look bad. So they just put heat lamps next to her. And I don't know if that's a thing, but it seems like that would be dangerous to put to put heat lamps next to somebody's hair, especially, especially th- hers as much hairspray as I think is in there. Time period. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I thought that was excellent. And also she said, I'm ready. And I thought, ready for what? He's not doing anything. It's so yeah. Kangaroo is basically it's it's a um it's kind of a climbing game where you're um it's a Donkey Kong Pac-Man sort of thing where you're you're I'm just going to read what I have. I'm looking at the Atari Twenty Six Encyclopedia Twenty Six Hundred Encyclopedia Volume Three, right and it's Kangaroo. Uh, have you ever wanted to punch monkeys in the face? <laughs> 
Have you ever wanted to control an angry kangaroo wearing boxing gloves? If the answer to either of those questions is yes, then this is the game for you. You play a mama kangaroo who must traverse a dangerous landscape to rescue your Joey. Along the way, you must climb ladders, jump up on raised platforms, and perform a death-defying jump over holes in the floor. But all of these threats pale in comparison to your deadliest foe, an apple. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that. But kangaroo is sort of a Pac-Man, Donkey Kong-esque thing. And in the, in the arcade, it was a really fun graphics and it was super fun look up kangaroo you'll see shots of it the atari 2600 was as you might imagine limited yeah <laughs> as as will happen but i love that they have that game why didn't i notice that game there mm. uh so so overall yeah um it's funny i mean i don't know if i'd call this a good episode of television but it's a it's an interesting episode of something yeah and um and I'm sure on Adventure Super Train over the years we've encountered quite a few episodes like this. I'm, I'm thinking of like Bourbon Street Beat when um, W. Hermanos took over right, right. during that weird writer strike and all the episodes were reconfigured from other shows yeah. and suddenly the Bourbon Street Beat guys were going to the jungle <laughs> and they were going, and it was like where, where are we now? They were going they were taking over going into boys prisons and stuff to stop riots and it's like what is happening to the show? So. If the show is this weird, um, I mean, I do. I, I was going to say that a moment I do like, I did like very much was um, the the closing sort of chase moments where, because this is still early in the show, and you remember the previous episode. How did they save the day? They Lonnie backed up her car, and Linda yelled, "That guy stole my purse!" <laughs> yeah. Boom. But this one, there's actually a moment where the bad guys are going to shoot Harry down by the docks. Mm-hmm. Although there is one moment where there's a stunt where they Lonnie uh, or Sydney drives their car through an intersection where I said, uh, that's in downtown L.A. near the studios. I recognize that <laughs> intersection. Uh, you know, because when you have the studios, you look at the front of the studios and they're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But then if you go blocks behind the back, it's just tall, the backs of studios with like fences around them. And you can always tell when they're in the studios when they're like, there's an intersection with these big blank buildings. And you're like, those are studios. Yeah. They're, they're shooting. They're probably shooting right there. But um, and there's just a great. I, I, I will say that if you take away the one great moment, apart from Lonnie Anderson playing tennis, is um, uh, is just the moment where they're they're sitting there and they're looking at Harry and Harry's about to be shot. He's about to be killed. Mm-hmm. And the two of them are sitting there and and they're like, what do we do? Yeah. What do we do? A man, a man is in front of. He's going to get killed. What do we do? And 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 like, and they, but you could see you could see him like, especially especially uh, Cindy Lon, Lonnie Anderson. She's because she's driving. Mm-hmm. Like you could see her mind being like, what do I do? We're actually we're actually at a moment where uh, we have to we have to do something, and I can't simply back up the uh-huh. car. Yeah, you know that we have to. There's a man with a shotgun about to kill another man right in front of me, and and she basically floors it mm-hmm. and drives right into right. it, scatters right. everyone and 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 in doing so causes enough commotion where the day is saved but i did i did like that moment just because like when we get to the end of the 13 episodes and we look back fondly mm-hmm. at the show hopefully hopefully at the end of 13 we're not we don't hate each other <laughs> here's stan sent me his recording of what he thought of episode 11 <laughs> and i'm just going to interject what a jerk what a jerk! Um, but uh, when we get to the end, we you know kind of, kind of go over our favorite moments. I like to think of this as being a big moment in the show, yeah. a moment where they they actually had like because they've done a lot of like courageous things, but a lot of things they've done. I mean, Lonnie throws the vase at the back of the guy's head and stuff, but a lot of it's been done in the name of like wacky comedy, right. you know, almost slapstick. But this is not a slapstick moment. This is a, a dead serious moment. Yeah, and and they, and they they come. She, she does. 
she just does what what comes right to her mind, and, and she's luckily enough she saves the day, right. and or they save the day um, together, and so that's kind of put the episode down all you want. We may have put it down a little bit here and there, but I think we also loved yeah. it too. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that moment I think is prob a big moment in the show. Yeah. I, I would say a moment where they uh, uh, just just pure courage saves uh, uh, a mostly innocent person's life. Yeah. So certainly from these wacky capitalists with their shots. <laughs> right, right. So so do you have anything else on this one? Because I think I am. I a... think that's it. All right. So um, yeah, Leo Rossi. And oh, I do like Leo Rossi. Oh yeah. As as the cop, he doesn't hasn't done much yet, but he he oh, he shows. I... A, where, where is it? He said he's he's reading from like Rolling Stone, and he has all these great. You know how I love the the like time specific references, and uh, where is it? Oh, so he's talking about all these sellouts. Like he's looking at Rolling Stone, and he's and he's like Linda Ronstadt is doing Gershwin. That's like Tony Bennett doing Karma Chameleon, and oh, yeah. and I'm not even sure what he means by that. <laughs> because like I like everybody involved in this statement, so I'm like that all sounds cool, right? Yeah, and is. and then he says uh, Bowie's doing <laughs> David Bowie's doing coffee commercials, and I I don't remember that happening, but I guess it I did. I don't remember that either. Michael Jackson hustles soft drinks. I do remember that. Yes. I was just saying, maybe maybe David Bowie with the coffee commercials is, was like new Coke. Oh, it just happened very briefly and then was gone. Yeah. And uh, Grace Jones and Adam Ant are peddling Hondas. I don't know anything about that, but I want to see that. I want to see that too. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so anyway, I wow. just I just love those yeah. references. That... Yeah, me me too. I I I and mentioning that I I mentioned the new coke my favorite thing about new coke is uh there is one of the um in sort of the the trader circles for battle of the network stars episodes mm-hmm. there is one from the summer is it 84 or 85 when they introduced new coke and there's a great commercial with um uh Bill Cosby and we're not going to we're not here to judge Bill Cosby or anything I'm just going to tell you what the commercial is where he and you know he used to do stuff for for Coke and it's just in the middle of the show suddenly he appears and it's just him and he says something like I've got a big announcement for you next week and I know you're going to love it and then you see like Coke in the bottom of the screen and then it ends and, and you instantly think if you know your your pop culture history new coke He's about to announce new Coke, which everyone hated immediately. <laughs> and then they put out classic Coke like a month later. Oh my god! Oh my god! And for for decades, I call I I, I still call Coke classic Coke because mm-hmm. as far as I know, it's not new Coke. It's classic. Right. It's, yeah. So th- that's another podcast, yes. everyone. The, the Coke the Coke <laughs> podcast. And yes, it will include cocaine and crack. Cocaine. Absolutely. It ain't a crack house. It's a crack home. <laughs> so. So, Stan, do you have anything else on this one? Because I think I, I do. do. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. So, uh, where can we find you? On t- uh, as always, please tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So, I do a uh, Wonder Woman classic TV show podcast. We talk about the great Linda Carter series from 77 to 79. And uh, you can find uh, that podcast and all the so- social media related to it at uh, WonderWomanWednesdays.com. Thank you again. And right now, we are going to go to, we're getting near the end, folks. Another episode of the great Monster Squad. Here we go. Hey, 
Monster Squad, episode 12, November 27th, 1976, Lawrence of Moravia. I'm going to mispronounce that. I'll just call him Lawrence throughout. The Monster Squad does battle with evil chic Lawrence of Moravia. That's, um, that's from the interior of the uh, DVD set of Monster Squad. And this is the penultimate episode of the show written by Stanley Ralph Ross. Okay, I think he co-wrote one earlier, but this one he wrote all by himself. And it's directed by William P. D'Angelo, one of the co-creators of the show. The person who has, I think they listed as like a personal assistant or something in the closing credits. And um, yeah, I don't know uh, how much William P. D'Angelo actually did on this show. Um, I guess co-created it, but with two other people. I mean, one of them said, I guess one of them was like, how about Frankenstein Monster? And then the second one said, how about Drac? And the third one said, how about the werewolf? And there was a fourth guy who said, how about Gopher from Love Boat? And they said, Love Boat hasn't premiered yet. And um, you're out of time, you executive producer. You. I will say this, watching um, WM.P.D'Angelo direct this, not the most dynamic of directors, not the most dynamic uh, uh, of episodes, but we've we've had that uh, sort of throughout the the episodes. Right, is that um, everyone's doing their best, everyone's having fun. It's super cheap, it's super charming, and the direction is rarely ever exciting. Uh, which is occasion occasionally, I think the the direction is interesting, um, but uh, the, this one, the direction is 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 pretty bland throughout. Um, which means that um, the script and the um, the the actors and everything else sort of have to um, take control. And d- d- does it work well? Let me let me do this. Let me let me let me give you a little um, let me give you a little story breakdown real quick so that so the monsters are brought to life, and um, they are chatting with um, Walt and uh, looking at the newspaper, and we get some of this. Famous pearl from Belgravia has arrived on our shores. Who is she? This pearl is not a she. This pearl is a pearl. Only it's not just any pearl. This pearl is the size of a basketball. Wow, he must be hard to dribble one of those. (laughs) Man, you are dumb. Oh, yeah? Well, you're... You're short! Call it, Police call. 387, 387. A 211 in progress. Code 3, 2809, West 20 Street. I can never understand what they're saying. Oh, it's very simple, Jack. You see, 387 means squad car. 211 is the robbery. Code 3 means hurry. The rest is the address. I just love that kind of talk. Frank and I'll handle this one. Call you if we need you. Okay. Come on, Frank. And so basically the guys, yeah, they head out to a um, uh, plumbing place where a bunch of stuff has been stolen and they see a security guard and um, they end up uh, uh, chasing down some bad guys to Lawrence's uh, lair where Lawrence uh, is dresses, you know, he's a sheik and he's dressed, he's sitting on, it's sort of chic like one of those, you know, bed couch things with all the pillows on it and he's got two sort of big guard guys who are near him with big mustaches and he's sitting, he's sitting in very much what I would call a season three Batman set. If you're familiar with with Batman, uh, the this 1966 series, uh, in the first two seasons, the 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 um, the uh, 
the the hideouts of the villains had some sort of semblance of being you know actual rooms actual spaces but then when you got to season three they became these sort of disconnected weird spaces that we've seen a few times in monster squad but usually monster squad does throw up some walls but this is kind of just a disconnected space where they kind of like they decorate the space that's going to be in the frame and then all around it is darkness and um i don't know what that's meant to apply is he in a void or is he just i mean i like to think maybe um He's he's in Los Angeles or wherever they're meant to be here, and he's missing his home wherever he's from Saudi Arabia or wherever they don't they don't say Moravia I guess. I I like to think that maybe what he's done is he's in like a big big room, and he's had them create a space in the middle of the room that reminds him of a room at home, and he's had darkness put around him so he can't see anything, so all he can see is the space that reminds him of his room at home. Right? I mean, I think that's that's a. I don't know if that's a fun idea, but that's a, that's that's something you do, right? Like if you if you you know if you spent a lot of your time say in an awful corporate office or something like that, and you were in charge, and you had like a really huge office, you know, uh, you know, and and you were there a lot of the times, you know, you try to carve out a space of it to make it as comfortable as as possible. Like the um the place where I do my day job, the guy who who runs the company's got this really big office, and it all looks like a regular office except in one corner there are a bunch of chairs and a little table and a TV, and it's set up like a little living room. And it's, which is really nice, you know. I have I have a small desk. I um, sit near a near a door that opens and closes and beeps and slams shuts and people knock at it all day. And I sit underneath a heating vent that that shoves heating down on me all day long. And I have to have a fan constantly on my face or else I start to sweat and I get really tired. And I I'm nowhere near a window. So we we had a meeting the other day and. Um, I was just staring out the window, and uh, someone was like, "What you doing, Dan? You, 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 why, why are you staring out the window?" And I looked up and I said, "Will you see where I sit? I spent eight hours of the day staring at a wall and you know a, a supporting post in the room. I, I am nowhere near a window. I never see outside. So this is the first time I've looked outside in six hours." So you'll forgive me for indulging. Anyway, um, I think I'm just creating. A, I think I'm. I'm thinking that maybe I'd like to um, have a little space I can find somewhere in my workspace. Anyway, sorry that was a little tangent. I don't know where I went there, but you know what I mean. It's it's carving out a little space in a maybe a space. That, but if he's if he's really like a super wealthy sheik, I mean, but if he's doing criminals, I was gonna say if he's a super wealthy sheik, he probably could get a really nice room somewhere like the. Beverly Hills Hotel somewhere or something like that. But maybe because he's doing bad stuff, um, and he does, you know, make the point somewhere in here about um, uh, just how much fun it is to uh, to do crime. Um, so maybe he is, he is, it's never said, but, but possibly could he be like a, um, someone who's watched maybe a lot of American TV, a lot of film noir or something like that, and he wants to run stuff like an underworld kingpin kind of thing, but he wants a couple of um, the amenities, as it were. So maybe they're in, maybe they're in a, a warehouse. Maybe they're, maybe they've rented a building. Uh, maybe they've rented a, 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 a building office space in a building, and they've carved this. Out. I don't know, but I, I'd like to think that um, because, because there is a point when the when the he they're far up because we see Bruce um, scaling the side of the wall at one point. But there's a weird moment where we see Bruce scaling the side of the wall. Then it immediately cuts to Bruce and Frank walking into the hideout and and the way they walk into the hideout from the back of it and then Lawrence walks in from the left side makes me think that it is some sort of creation in the middle of a larger I mean it is technically it's a set right but I mean in the world of the show it's a space within another space kind of thing kind of you know that that thing you know you, you all know that I love that thing that they've done um 
that they do in the TV movie Escape and that they've done in um, uh, they did an episode of BJ and the Bear with um, Paul Williams and I know they've done somewhere they did somewhere else um, I, I included it in a novel I never finished called Diary of a Nude Man but that, that thing where they people think they're inside like an apartment or inside a house but then when they step outside the house they actually find they're inside another space like that BJ and the Bear episode where um the Lander sister is kidnapped by Paul Williams as the crazy rock star and she thinks she's in like a lovely like apartment but she's not she's in like his basement like and there are a series of these apartments built within these larger rooms in this space I love that um, and so I like to think of that that's what this is now I've spent four or five minutes talking about that but I I will say this one of the reasons why I'm going to talk I'm not going to go too crazy but I think the fact that this is directed by the co-creator and written by the guy who developed the show I think this is the first episode watch it again I've said this before I think I mentioned it last time but I've, I've mentioned it throughout the mention 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 throughout the chats that like Queen Bee definitely is not the first episode I think this is the first episode. This feels like what would have been the pilot. or um, I'm not 100% sure the way it works Saturday morning. I guess they do pilots because there are parts in this that I'll, that I'll mention that do feel different from... It's, it's, it's all kind of here, though. Um, there, but there are... Especially there's one big thing that this episode does that the other ones kind of don't do uh, uh, is, is interesting. So I do, I do wonder. I guess this, this would be the pilot or this is the first episode. I'd love to know the order of the episodes, but I do really think... The yeah, William D. P. D'Angelo directing it, Stanley Ralph Ross writing it by himself. This is him saying, this is him taking whatever sort of Bible, as it were, that D'Angelo Bullock and Allen had written, and him saying, here's what the show should be, and then writing the episode. And for some reason, they decided not to show this first. I don't know whether they're whether we having OPEC troubles. Oh, we we were throughout the seventies and beyond, right? So um, and, you know, and was it like, oh, we don't want a chic. We don't want to offend anyone. But the Sheik is pretty, he's pretty harmless. And for all we know, he might not even be a Sheik. He might just be some random guy. I mean, here's the thing I thought, too, at the end. I thought, is is this a King Tut kind of thing? Did Stanley Ralph Ross create the King Tut? Who was it? Oh, it was Charles Hoffman. I forget who. I'm going to have to look. I'll, I'll get back to you. But uh, but I was going to say, who was it like like the... Um, the sort of the major villain that was created and came out of the Batman 66 series was King Tut, Victor Buono playing King Tut. And there was someone specific who wrote, I think, like the majority of his stories. I want to say it was Stanley Ralph Ross. I don't think so. I think it was Charles Hoffman. It's it's like with uh, whenever Jaime showed up on, on Get Smart, the original run there, um, all the episodes were written by the... Um, CFP de Lamoureux or something like that who was actually the, the actor who was played one of the main guys on the Virginian in the first two seasons the first guy in the main cast of the Virginians who leaves I forget the character's name um, but so, so it's yeah but that's what I kind of thought when I saw Lawrence was always oh, a King Tut kind of thing you know, like, like they're gonna they're gonna turn on the lights in that room and reveal that we're in like we're 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 like in in Tarzana in like a like a mechanic shop, like an auto repair shop or something like that. And this is just a guy who got hit on the head and now he thinks he's a robber chic or something. That's not what the episode says. But then of course this is an episode about three wax figures of monsters coming to life and helping um, Gopher from the Love Boat uh, solve crimes. So. I guess we're all sort of up in the air and doing our own thing here. Uh, so, so yeah, so so what happens after that? Yeah, so so Lawrence is um, 
yeah, the guys, um, uh, Bruce and Frank, follow uh, Lawrence to his hideout, and they meet up with Lawrence, and they watch some belly dancers, and then they have, uh, uh, well, well, they they um, they introduce themselves, and let, let me play you this. I am Frankenstein of Latvia. My friend and accountant, Bruce W. Wolf. Accountant? To marry a prejudice? I know my assets. No, not at all. It is merely that I am not used to seeing a head such as yours without a um, tail wagging behind it. <laughs> Lawrence of Moravia, should I have heard of you? Of course you should have heard of me. The entire civilized world has heard of me. I am the Midas of oil and currently the fifth richest person in the universe. Only the fifth? Yes. I trail my cousin, Sheikh Rattle and Roll of Tabriz, and a oriental businessman from Hong Kong, a rock and roll singer from London, and a used car dealer from Cleveland. Fifth, yes. I'm very impressed. I am equally impressed with you, tall person. Your detection abilities are absolutely astounding. You almost got here before I did. Therefore, I should like to make an offer to you that you cannot refuse. Yeah. yeah. But it is most uncouth to discuss business affairs on an empty stomach and before the evening's delights have started. Therefore, we shall eat and rest and be bedazzled by my entertainments. Then we shall speak as such matters. Up. There you go. Another thing that makes me think this is the first episode. Note the way that Frank very specifically introduces himself with his name as listed in the credits and Bruce's name as listed in the credits. They call Bruce Bruce throughout, but they never use they never really use his full name. And Dracula's just Dracula. There, there's nothing else to his name. So that's one of the things is, is he is very specifically Frank introduces them. Uh, there's there's stuff throughout here also that I I will sort of mention that that s- certain things that happen like like the way Bruce does his sniffing around. He doesn't do a lot of that throughout the show. Now, granted, here he does some sniffing around, but then it turns out that he can actually look through, like, a, a window and see the bad guy, so he's not actually he's not actually deducing from sniffing. But sort of the Bruce sniffing around and, and, and some of the other bits about... We'll talk about it in a moment. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, so Lawrence is going to steal this giant pearl... He puts Frank and Bruce uh, into a big that that machine that 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 sort of case that they were in where they were they 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 fought the Redrack fought the bear and where the sound was blasted at them that case they're putting that it's going to fill up with oil and I'm going to play let me just play a last little sound clip right here this is Frank and and Bruce are are chained together sort of sitting down in the um, thing as it fills up with oil. It looks bad. But it feels good. How are we going to get out of this one, Ruth? We'll do it. Cheer up, Frank. Things could be worse. How? We could be hanging from our toes. (laughs) Now I think we're in trouble. I don't know where you got that idea. My body is beginning to feel weird. What a way to go. Grease to death. But we ain't done yet. Correction, Bruce. I ain't done yet. Good grammar, even in terminal situations, is essential. You're getting smarter, but it may be too late. What are you doing? 
If I can just get my fingers on a communicator belt, maybe I can press the beeper. Good idea. Then Walton Drac could trace us here on the radar scanner. How's it going? Terrible. I'm terribly. And so uh, Walt and Drac show up and they free Bruce and Frank and they go to the museum and they stop Lawrence and save the day. Hooray! Yeah, so it's it's the first episode. I think like like I said, the the direction there the, the only the only it's weird, the only spot of direction where there's any sort of dynamicness to it. I mean, he, he sort of does what he can with the fight scene. I mean the fight scene is the, the interesting thing with the fight scenes, right, is that we've been as we've been going through them, there has been a bit of there has been the occasional moment where like Frank didn't didn't Frank like smack someone in the face like an episode or two ago? Like the episodes have been getting I wonder if you if you watch the episodes of pro, pro, I bet you if you watch the episodes in, in sort of production order, you can see that maybe getting just a little more violent in the fights, not like crazy violent, but just a little more, a little more something in it. Because this one is pure on silliness, although it does begin with them throwing. Is it does Frank Frank whips the pearls into Lawrence's area, and um. Oh yeah, I'm watching it now, and they're stepping into Lawrence's sort of set there. It is interesting, because it is like a set, and they do sort of come up from behind the curtains, and they're completely surprised when they step into this small space. And it's all darkness around them. I do... Oh, you can see, like, in the back and the right, you can see something. Probably the back of the studio, right? Kind of probably something I would you wouldn't have seen um, when you watched it on Saturday morning. Um, anyway, anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But... Uh, I don't even remember what I was talking about now. And I have completely forgotten what I was talking about, but that's okay. We're still talking about the episode. I think I think overall it's a fun episode. Like I said, the direction, apart from some of the fight scene moments are fun, but they're, it's it's interesting. This is one of those fight scenes where it's almost more fun to watch. Like when someone gets hit and like is like like when when um when the, the little plumber guy grabs the plunger and Frank is spinning them around and then kind of flings him away. It's more fun to sort of watch what the actors sort of do when they get flung away or knocked over than it is to see, like, the main fighting. But it, it's okay. They do their best. It's just, again, like, the moment it starts, you hope that there's going to be enough sort of silliness going on or just inventiveness happening there with the plungers and the, and the pushing each other around and the not quite hitting each other and throwing the pearl around. There isn't quite in this one, but it doesn't go on very long. I mean, you can see the moment it starts up, there really is a feel in this one. I think that they should be throwing bangs and pows up. And maybe maybe even they were. Maybe that's why, like... I mean, it's funny if you think about it. Maybe it's not funny when you think about it. Maybe just think about it. and You don't have to laugh or otherwise. But all those moments where it looks like there's going to be a moment of violence, but then there isn't. Would that have been the perfect moment to put up like a bang or a pow or something like that? You know, like when it looks like Frank is going to hit someone and then he just kind of gives him a little shove with his shoulder or something. Right there when he's about to do that, put in a big pow on the screen and then cut to the guy falling over or something like that. Maybe they weren't even allowed to do that. They weren't even allowed to imply that violence. That could have been it, right? Not even being allowed to imply that violence could occur. But like I said, I bet if you watch them in production order, by the time we get to episodes like the last couple we watched, which I think were later in the run, there is sort of more proper violence 
so yeah, so that's the, the most dynamic scene I think that that he shoots in this episode is when Drac is pacing back and forth uh, behind or in front of um, behind. I say behind the crime computer as Walt is at the crime computer and Drac is pacing back and forth. And you can see that window and that side door, and then becomes a bat, and the camera's just kind of moving with him as he's pacing back and forth and cutting back and forth. That is has a nice bit of um, sort of bit of anxiousness to it, and a bit of you know Drac worrying about his two friends and what they're up to kind of thing, and then he becomes a bat. Uh, but but uh, but but that's really kind of it. The, the rest of the episode is not really um, sparklingly directed. If you if you can get into the groove, it's a lot of fun, and I think it is a lot of fun. Like like watching when the belly dancers come out, watching like Coy Frank, and then like the big smile on Bruce's face. And I will I will say you can you can really sort of see like Bruce has Bruce ha- Bruce has fangs on his bottom teeth. Drac has fangs on his top teeth. I know we've seen that throughout the episodes, but this this episode for some reason you can really see it, and I I love watching. Like when the belly dancers leave, and like all the guys are just dancing like crazy, and Lawrence is just throwing cash <laughs> through the air at the ladies, it's fun. I, I think another thing too, um, that um, if you if you look at some of the things like the uh, like, like if you if you watch the fight scene and superpo- superimpose in your mind the the sound effects sounds, some of the fighting comes off a little better. And there's another thing the episode does when Bruce and and Frank won't agree to Lawrence and Lawrence knocks them out is that the way he knocks them out is he's got like gas jets hidden in the fresh fruit and all of a sudden this noxious pink gas sprays all over doesn't affect the two guys his two buddies but knocks out um the monster so maybe it's a monster knocking out in gas or something like that i'm not sure I, I that was very much that was like a big thing and I think Adam West and Burton Ward used to speak about that like they would use a lot of like the penguin would have gas in the umbrella the little gas bombs and this noxious colored gas would come out and they'd always end up being taken away to the infirmary to have like their like their lungs pumped out of getting this gas and stuff so I like that moment because because that moment strikes me as a very, a very Batman moment the gas comes out you're like oh look Batman gas now not you know not gas from that you would have seen on the Batman show but there are a lot of other moments that make me think this is a pilot. The 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 some of the references to like um, uh, several monsters, unknown monsters save the day, and and the way that um, the 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 plumbing guy at the plumbing warehouse or wherever it is who gets robbed, the little nerdy guy with the glasses, he turns out to be a bad guy in the end. But when they first meet him, they don't know that he's a bad guy, and we see something that they rarely do, which is he he they go and talk to him. They go to the warehouse and they talk to the victim of a crime, to and he's like, "What? Who are these monsters?" He's completely confused by there being monsters there. Whereas later on, there are episodes where like everyone knows who the monsters are, and Lawrence seems to know who the monsters are after a time. But the nerdy plumber guy, he really doesn't seem to seem to get it. So there, so there's sort of a feeling of the monsters are relatively sort of newish to it that that you get occasionally in here. There's the opening. Uh, right after the credits, we get a, a really close up of the crime computer sort of coming to life, and then the monsters like coming to life and stepping off of their spot. Now I know we've seen those clips a hundred times, but but like the 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 crime comp- seeing the crime computer up close and seeing them to me very much. You you don't need to show that at the start of an episode. Just showing that at the start is very much a. Um, is very much a uh, sort of opening episode thing for me. I think also the way that um, the 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 container, the glass container that they put them in. In other episodes, it's just this sort of blank container that's usually like yellow or something that they put them in. 
Um, and there's nothing sort of on it really apart from maybe like bear trap or sound chamber or something like that. But this one has like they're, they're in and like on, on on the right side of it, there's like a big multicolored pipe that goes up to the top and then in down to the bottom of the container. And it's got like a fill valve and like a drain valve. And it says oily vat on the side. And then on the other side, there, there are a series of um, from the top to bottom, different colored like signs saying goodbye, blub blub i'm trying to read him gulp um lawrence is in the way i'm trying to read him gulp um oh there we go here we go here we go we got a full so yeah so along the side we see it's goodbye blub blub gulp uh-oh h-e-a dash h-e-a ha ha that's cold this is nothing and so it's uh, it's not too much more, and I mean it's probably something that like one of the the kids of the producers could have put together. But it is kind of a fun extra, and they they do actually seem it does actually seem to be kind of in the middle of the room they were just in, although maybe it's a different room, I don't know. But it does look like they sort of cleared out. Maybe maybe that that that's another thing to the 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 fact that 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 space that Lawrence is in is just sort of a temporary space that he sets up because when he wants to put sort of the oily vat there, they just roll everything out and then roll in the oily vat. Rather other than that being another room it's the same space that would make sense but there, there's a little bit of like extra in there and and little moments like the, like the fact that think think about a normal episode on the show what is a normal episode on the show we basically get the, the main guys the bad guy two henchmen and then maybe one other person in this one we get the two belly dancers and, and we get the plumber uh, guy and so uh, that's not a lot of extra people, but but there's just a feeling like with the belly dancers, like th- there's there's a feeling in the previous episodes that if someone shows up, they're doing something somewhat important. Now maybe Sam Drucker showing that uh, that one episode wasn't doing anything terribly important, but it could be. But there's a feeling of something people show up, they're doing something important, and the belly dancers seems like an extravagance for this show and this show was not an extravagant show and notice the number of sets too there's like a probably stock shot of like an alleyway before they go to the plumber's warehouse thing there's there's that plumber place there's the there's the street that that um Walton Drax stand with has the street lamp there's the there's the fact that instead of all the other episodes where we see them in the headquarters we see them in the wax museum then we cut to the hideout then we cut back and forth between the two and eventually all our guys end up at the hideout. There's a fight and then we're back there. In this one, they go to the hideout, then they go to the museum. So, the, I mean, I know the Skull one has the museum set with the um, Selma Diamond, but that's really just a really vaguely decorated set. This museum is actually like a full-on room, not museum room. It looks like more like someone's living room, but it's like a fully decorated set. So there's just a, there's a feeling in this episode that they're they maybe have a maybe a little bit more money or something to make this there's a feeling of a little bit more um uh, more sets uh, maybe an extra person or two in the episode a little more of a feeling of a world rather than just like two rooms and I imagine them showing it to the network, and the network said, that's great, but keep the cast down to this, and just use your... And, and like I've said before, I think the, the Wax Museum set was probably just repurposed for most of the episodes as the hideouts. And it definitely isn't what the Skull episode. So so I just think, I think that if you watch this from the point of view of this was the first one made before they made any others, possibly before they knew they were going to make any others, and this is kind of selling it. 
So you see that. You see in the way the characters sort of introduce themselves. You see in the way Lawrence and everyone else reacts to the monsters. You see in the, this is Bruce W. Wolf. They never said that before. You see the, the um, little bit of extra on the oily, bit of extra stuff on the oily vat, um, emphasizing the crime computer, emphasizing like Dracula becoming a bat, very close up, you know, like this is the first time he's doing it sort of thing. And all these little bits here and there kind of accumulate, make you think, hey, this was this was the first episode, wasn't it? This was the first one they made. Now again, I could be wrong, but I think it's true. Episode twelve, and now we are going to go on to yes, you guessed it, Max is back. Academy. It's nice to have Max back. Season 2, Episode 1. The seventh episode overall. We are at September 18th, 1987. Written by David Brown. Directed by Victor Lobi. Or Lobi. And in this one, Blank Reg is arrested for zipping the feeds, satellite feeds of Network 23. And that's basically, he's uh, he's accused of hijacking the feeds. And he's put in prison. And he's put on a, uh, a game show, a courtroom game show, where he may lose his life. Theora and Carter aren't convinced that Blank Reg did this. And as they begin to investigate, they find out from Bryce that the zipping seems to be coming from the academy that Bryce used to go to, the Academy of Computer Science, where all the gifted children go. So Edison goes to investigate um, as Blank Reg is put on trial for his life. Yes, someone is back. Someone you know, someone you love, someone with a whole lot of... Listen to this blast of music. He's on the other side waiting for us. Season 2, Episode 1, Max Headroom, Academy. I'm here with Tim S. Turner. Tim, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I want to know what you thought of this episode of Max Headroom. First one of Season 2. I know you were a viewer. I know you were there watching it. And you loved it when it was on. I also know that I think they put it up against Dallas, so that's why there are only six or seven episodes that aired. But having said all that, what did you think of this one as a season opener? Uh, I I don't think it was the best choice for a season opener. I I think it's it's kind of flat. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's not like it's a bad story. I I think it's an interesting story, but it's it's kind of bare bones, and I don't know if it was really enough to fill forty five minutes yeah. of time. Um, you know, it, it was it was interesting to see. Uh, Bryce's background, mm-hmm. where he came from, it's a little Bryce centric. But uh, yeah, you know, it just—I don't know. I don't know if it was my. It's—it's it's not a terrible episode. It just—I just think it's kind of a, a middling. It, it to, to me, um, I, I think I like it a little bit more than you do. But I would also say, yeah, that it's not the most. Um, it's not the most exciting of episodes because once they get to the academy, um, you kind of know. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think that the kids did it it's just a question of finding them and getting them to do something to either you know free blank reg or to trick themselves into getting blank reg free sort of thing and so there there isn't a, it seems like there is a bit of an inordinate amount of time of of edison just kind of walking through hallways or us watching yes theora watching edison walk through hallways it seems like there's maybe like they, they came up with the basic idea which is a good one i think but then they just didn't have enough 
um, to to make it. It's it's not super exciting. It's a, I'm going to call it a soft season opener in that it's not one that grabs you and throws you around the room. It's one. It's a little more. It's more a character based. Like like you said, it's this is. If, like, throughout season two, and I don't know if this will happen because I haven't watched beyond this one, but if they were to, like, give each of the main characters an episode, this would be Bryce's episode. We learn about his background. We learn about, well, some about his background. We learn we went to school. And I, I, oddly enough, don't, I think we also learn his birth date, which is a little weird. We could talk about in a moment. But, uh, uh, yeah, so we learn about him, and, and we see the kids who sort of, uh, he, he didn't go, the, the younger kids who sort of know who Bryce is and who the new, the next generation of, like, Sheldon's, young Sheldon's are going to be. Oh, yeah, I guess Sheldon into Bryce is kind of is going to be. <laughs> and um, and so it's a, I think it's one of those episodes where I'm glad they made it, and I'm glad they had, we got the focus on Bryce, and we got to see the way Bryce, who I think has been, started off very um, uh, sort of inhuman-ish at the very beginning, has becoming more human, thanks to Max and having to interact more with Edison, Theora, Murray. Um, uh, um, but uh, but but in this one, because he, he learns that it's his gang, it's his 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 his, his, his alma mater that's that's involved with this, this zipping which gets Blank Reg in trouble, he's, he's, he kind of reverts back to um, the almost inhuman version of him himself, but he does he does sort of believe um, there there's sort of the this naivete to him where um, he he has at one point like oh well you know I yeah I I you know I um got them to uh, arrest Blank Reg instead of going after the academy, but he's innocent so he'll be fine, but of course that's not the way uh, things work, and he has to be told again and again. It's a great point where Theora says to him, "Grow up." Yeah, and uh, and so so I like I like the fact that we get the background on Bryce, we get the academy, we learn sort of where he came from, and possibly maybe where Theora came from. Although I think like I, I think if, if if she she would have been, um, I think she was born like ten minutes before the twenty minutes into the future, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I feel like she would have been in either like the first of the academy classes or maybe right before that because she's she very much i mean she bests bryce on more than one occasion in this episode she's ahead of him but the implication is that bryce is the super genius and theora is just one of the the very good people who work the computers but clearly theora is as good as if not better than bryce and she's also very she's personable she's sociable um so i like i like the background on bryce i like the some i've i've been saying one of the problems i have with the show is there isn't much uh on the um i don't feel like i'm getting much on the society but in this we get we learn about the justice system we learn about that really weird sort of mad libs um i actually stole that line from uh tim everyone he said that to me earlier about the the justice <laughs> system they have the what is it the crmp where they have blanks who don't have records and then they have records that don't have names so they try to match up the records with the the so they give reg this huge criminal record which we don't think he has um, but the system has given it to him sort of trying to match it up and uh, so yeah I like all the background on Bryce I like the background on the academy where do these smart kids come from how, how are they trained and I like the background on the justice system where it just in the end becomes this big goofball game show but is the episode itself really exciting not really might it does it would it have been a better episode if it was exciting with all of that yes does it bother me not really I'm just hoping the rest of the season gets a little more exciting. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, fortunately, the next episode's like my favorite one. Okay. Um, 
but uh, yeah, th- I I think I would have picked a, a, a an episode that was a little had a little more oomph. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially since like you were saying, it, it they moved it up against Dallas. Yes. Uh, I I I got the feeling that Max Hedrum was the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. That they offered up because you know there's always in, in I mean not so much anymore because of things like streaming and cable and stuff mm-hmm. but you know at that point in time there was always like the juggernaut show yes yeah. and networks would be like oh god you know yeah. let's just put something we don't care about yes you know yeah. up against it and it'll you know take the take the hit yeah because uh, let's be honest I mean you know science fiction on network television has never been never yeah. uh i mean maybe x files is the one real exception yes mm-hmm. where they let it stay on for more yeah. than three seasons yeah. you know yeah. and the more uh, uh, and the more sort of sci-fi it got the less people seemed to like it like the more right. it got wrapped up in the in the syndicate and everything it was it was uh uh yeah so yeah you're i i like that i'm sorry i cut you off i was just i was just thinking yeah it's a very good point Oh no, yeah, yeah. It, 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 but it, it was at that time that was what they would do. Whether it was the Cosby Show, mm-hmm. you know, or, or Friends or Seinfeld, or that whole third. Remember, remember when it was Thursday night lineup yes. on NBC, like the Mad Muscle About TV, You, right? and yeah, Mad About You, Friends, Seinfeld, and whatever yeah, the other and one ER, was. And ER, yeah, and, yeah. and basically the other networks basically just threw their hands up and would put up, you know, just junk that nobody cared about yes exactly like put yeah. like the 20th episode of the week of dateline or something yeah, well, that's yeah, the NBC yeah, show, yeah. but you know what i mean yeah it's um, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's funny to to look to the eight to nine slot against cosby show and family ties and cosby show and different world because at first like in the in, in in when that started being the number one show for like five years in a row they were they were trying so like in yeah. in like October November they put Shadow Chasers up against it Shadow yeah. Chasers Shadow Chasers was you know it was like a sort of Ghostbustersy type thing and it came from like you know Ron Howard's production company and you know there was they thought that might do so it did nothing yeah and and that's the, and when you and if you like it's very entertaining I think if you if you can get a list of like 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 look at all the shows that aired between eight and nine on Thursday from like September of 85 <laughs> to like, like May of 90. And obviously the Simpsons are there, right? Uh, circa yeah. in 9091. Um, but you, you get lots of show, you'll get, and, and at first, at first what you get, and then, then we'll get back to Max Hedrick. But at first what you get, I think is shows that they think will work, but bomb. Then they start to just throw anything there. And then after a time, they just put shows there and let them sit there. So like after a couple of years, you get like Sledgehammer, which went up went up against Cosby, had had terrible yeah. ratings, but they yeah. left it there the whole season. It and got they whole, renewed it. <laughs> yeah, it got a whole season just, just because it was like, well, why not? You know, there are some people yeah. watching it. It, it, and, it couldn't have been a very expensive show. Yeah, true. Yeah, and and you I was going to say, and, and but but to say that that the, they did the same thing. Speaking of Theora, um, uh, the Flash. Yes. When, when, uh, a couple of years after Max, when they, I think, right, when they put the Flash up against it, the Flash was up against Cosby Show in Different World, and as yep. far as I know, the ratings weren't very good, as most of the shows, they weren't very good at uh, against that time slot. But they let it run the whole season. And, you know, and, a... and Flash was also really expensive. Yes. Yeah. Because of the sets and you know the the special effects yeah. and. 
You know, you got your Danny Elfman score and, you know, but and, yeah, I, I think science fiction and I know this is <laughs> we're totally on a tangent, but science fiction television has never really been appreciated. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my favorite shows is Millennium. Oh, sure. And, yeah, and, yeah. and somehow that made it to three. Yes. I, I don't know how. I've got all all the box sets of that show because I love Lance Henriksen on it sure, and everything. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it, it's just kind of it, it's while well, Fox in particular has had a history of putting science fiction on Friday night and then killing it. Yes, yeah. You know, I mean, remember Freaky Links? Remember that yeah. show? <laughs> I was gonna say Harsh Realm. Harsh Realm, yeah. yeah. Sliders, you know, all those. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, that's uh, well, that's and that's why Max Headroom didn't go more than eight episodes in its second season, and it didn't even go that long. I think no. it was only six or seven or something like that. Yeah. Aired. Um, but but you got to think though, what a, what a weird like. Okay, so we showed this weird show for six episodes, and this guy's in all the Pepsi commercials or whatever he was in. So let's let's and I and and maybe he's some sort of phenomenon like Spuds McKenzie or something. We can't get <laughs> we can't give Spuds his own show. It's just he won't do it. So we're gonna put we'll put Max up against Dallas. Now I know at that point, like '87, Dallas was slightly past its peak, but it was still a top twenty to top ten show yeah. every week, and um so many people were invested in it that it seems foolish to me to try to create a brand new sci-fi world up against Dallas, which was, I don't know, 200 episodes into its run. No, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Yeah, I I really do get the impression that ABC just was basically like, "Eh, you know, uh, what are we going to put up against Dallas? Uh, how about just like put Max Headroom? I don't know. Why not? You know, because yeah. like we're gonna cancel it anyway. You know? Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, we, we contracted for eight. We'll have them do their eight. We'll and, and by the way, I do love the image of Spuds McKenzie throwing the script at his agent's face. <laughs> like, how dare you insult me with this garbage? I told you I'll never do network television. Uh, this is just a. I this is a sitcom. I said I didn't want a sitcom. I wanted excite like Riptide. I'll only What's accept Soderbergh scripts. <laughs> I think this script is a rewrite of the failed Mason Reese sitcom from the 70s. <laughs> I sense a feeling of Mason in this, and I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Um, so oh, so let's go back to the episode. I think. Um, <laughs> what, what else do you have? Do you have? Uh, I, I don't have. I don't have a lot. I mean, um, I, I like the setup of the school. Um, there aren't a lot of students, but maybe they like a lot of space. I don't know. And I and I, um, I just wish this episode had more verve. But to me, there's enough sort of world building and such to make it definitely worth a viewing. Not one of the best episodes, but worth a viewing. Yeah, I, I did like how, like, they've, re- you know, the, in the future, the justice system is basically like a cross between a Japanese game show and the gong show. Yes. Uh, you know, where it's, oh, your life's on the line. Whoa, bam, you know, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> this, yeah, this is, I think, is around the time of the movie, um, Death Row Game Show. Oh, jeez. Do you, you ever see that one where, yes. where yeah, yeah. What's, not, you know, not that one of the best. It's made by the guy who made a Polish vampire in Burbank and Curse yeah. of the Queer Wolf. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's it's not a bad little film, and it's sort of the same kind of you know this is the time of the Running Man and oh, yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So so very, so to have a Dawson, uh... yeah to take Blank Reg and just put him in a game show is um, kind of suits everything. Uh, you know, I, I I the more I think about this episode, I think the problem is really the direction. 
Um, you could because be right there, yeah. I, I, I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of elements to the story that are interesting and fun, and I think the direction is what kills it. I, I think it, it's very uh, none of the scenes, for me at least, really seem to have uh, an energy to them, and maybe it's maybe it was the director. I don't know. You know, I, I would I always think uh, with. Pardon me. I just leaned over for a second. Uh, I think I think with uh, with shows like this, I, I think when you watch it and you think, okay, the, the characters are doing their thing. It's it's interest. Most of what they're doing is interesting, um, and there's certainly stuff going on. If you sit there and, and you can't, it's not grabbing your attention. I think with something like this, to me, it's to the, it's it's the direction. Yeah, it's something whether whether it's just like um, it's blandly directed or um, just the the editor didn't have anything to work with or or just something. But I th- I think I think you're probably right there. It really is sort of it's it's an episode that if it had more of a yeah life to it in the because like I said like a lot of it is following Edison around and then watching Theora follow Edison around and that's. That can yeah. be interesting. It was interesting. I think was it the first episode? I think they do a lot of that. That was interesting yeah. there, and that could be very suspenseful. Here, there's just a weird feeling because they're in the school that it's like there there are no there there's going to be no security guards around the corner. You know, like if one of the kids rushes him, he's just going to push him over. Right. You know, so 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 there's never it's always a feeling of like when he discovers a hidden room or something like that. There's never a feeling of danger or anxiety or suspense. There's just a feeling of, oh, what's in there? Yeah, Whereas it kind of feels uh, uh, sorry. I, it oh, it no. kind of feels like uh, like an Italian gothic from the 60s mm-hmm. where like like half the film is is the heroine with a candle in a flowing yes. nightgown going down long long hallways mm-hmm. for interminable amounts of time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And th- and then you get yeah. like 10 minutes of whoa, but the rest of it when you think about it you're like, oh, "Okay, yeah, most of it was just walking around the set." That you could I think you could always spot a movie like that. That's when when people praise like the sets and the production design more than anything else. That's one of those movies because there's nothing else to praise. It's just someone walking, and that's kind of what this is like. You know, it's like, like it. It reminds me of uh, there was a line on uh, Mystery Science Theater was, uh, with the screaming skull, and and they were oh, saying yes. it's like yeah. they had they had a, 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 a teaspoon of tension in a gallon jug or something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's got yep. stretch for the whole thing. Yeah, uh, that's that's it, it's it's too bad because there is a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, I like the. And I won't go crazy, but sort of I like the concept that, uh, you know, um, when when Bryce finds out it's his academy, he instantly goes, oh, something's wrong. And then he reroutes it to blank reg. Right. And um, and then he, he thinks he gets rid of the info. But basically, Theora goes to the, you know, the computer garbage can and is able to fish out that info that he threw out and find out what was going on, which sends them after the Academy. And I like that, too, because it shows, you know, as much as Bryce might be the uh, wunderkind there, uh, Theora is is clearly better at this. She just, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was her choice or just the way the society works, she does what she does. And I, th- I think it's probably she's more she's more personal and able to keep it together. Yeah. Quick, quicker. Although there is that moment where... Um, where where Edison walks in to talk at the end to talk to Bryce, and um, 
and Edison's like, well, we're not going to talk because it's all all around, you know, it's all, uh, we're all being watched, computers all around us, and Bryce just picks something up, beep, boop, beep, okay, there's a cone of silence around us, and I like that, that he's got that right, and it, of course, makes you think it gets smart, too, which is fun. That's exactly um, what I thought. Yes, exactly. So, so I was expecting actually to see it lowered down. I thought, wouldn't that have been great? I was like waiting the... for Dick Cotier to show up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have anything else on this one? Because I think I am good. <laughs> uh, I do not. Um, I just, uh, you know, it, it, it's not a terrible episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just. Uh, it's just kind of middle of the road. It's not something I would yeah. show someone when I was introducing the show to them. You yeah, know, definitely. Yeah. So that's episode one, Academy of season two. Not a, not a not a great opening, but I think uh, it has enough character stuff and society stuff to that that I I think it's it's like the early episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation that aren't very good, but they built off of elements of them for later episodes when the show was really good. I kind of think of the, of this episode that way. So Tim. If you're done, where can we find you online? You can find me and my co-host, uh, Agni Hogaboom, on uh, Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees, a uh, genre film podcast. Um, uh, we've been away a little bit because of things uh, in life, like floods and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be hopefully back uh, probably this next week. Thank you so much again. And that, that, was, uh, that was Academy, everyone. Next up, I believe, is Deities. And uh, and next up on here, we got this. And there endeth the episode. Hey, we're back to three here. Monster Squad is almost done. We only got one episode of Monster Squad left, but we, we got plenty of partners in crime. And we've got, was it about seven or so episodes of Max Headroom left? So so we're in, we're in good hands there. So thank you, as always, everyone, for listening. You can find us online. We are on, what, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. I'm hoping to get us on Amazon sometime soon uh, when I can, you know, be bothered. I'm kidding. Uh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Uh, but uh, we are on X at eSuperTrain1. We're on Facebook, eventually SuperTrain. You can email me at dannyslacks at yahoo.com if you, if you would like to and we're also on eventually supertrain.blogspot.com again thank you tim thank you stan for joining me on this journey yeah next time we wrap up monster squad and we continue the journeys uh with the other guys and journeys 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 aren't they great be good to yourselves everyone (laughs) 